We're going to get right into this lesson. 1 Samuel chapter 25 and look at verse 1. And Samuel died, and all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. Listen what he had. This was, this was how they measured wealth back in, the, in these days. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. In verse 3, Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. It's interesting how these two ever ended up getting together, but it says she was a woman of good understanding. She had a voice of reason. She was a wise woman, and it says that uh, Nabal was a churlish man. Churlish means rude and mean-spirited in a surly way. Nabal was mean just to be mean, right? We, we talked to Emma about that. I'm going to forget the little girl's name uh, in Laura Ingalls Wilder, but it's, uh, no, no, it's not Laura Ingalls Wilder. I can't remember. It's, the, it's uh, Nellie Olson, whoever she's in. We talk to her all the time about that. I say, don't be mean just to be mean. Now, we don't need, we don't need to respond in a mean way because somebody's being mean, but that's what Nabal's problem was. He was contrary just to be contrary. In verse 4, it says, And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. In verse 5, David sent out ten young men, and David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus shall ye say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace to thine house, and peace unto all that thou hast. Now have I heard that thou hast shears. Now thy shepherds were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them, all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, they'll show you. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. Basically what happened is David and his men, remember, I, I made this comment at the beginning, these were David's mighty men. These weren't just a bunch of, you know, young guys that David said, hey, go see if he'll, you know, they, they were dispensable, so David sent these ten to go, yeah, if he kills them, I'm not going to miss them. These were David's mighty men. They, they could have done a lot of damage. We looked at last week, killing 300 people, 300 Philistines by themselves. Uh, another one, you know, taking the guy's spear and killing him with it. These guys were mighty men, and David sends them to talk to Nabal. And basically what they were saying was, hey, we've seen your shearers down there. We are starving. All these people that are with David, they need supplies. They're starving. But we didn't take a single sheep. We didn't hurt any of your men. And in verse 8, he says, can you give us some food? Can you uh, give us some, some provisions for what we need? And look what he says in verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is this son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. He basically, now Nabal, don't, not to be confused, Nabal knew who David was. David had already killed Goliath. Remember when the, the women were singing, David has, has, or Saul hath killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. The whole uh, nation of Israel knew who David was at this point. He, he had a name for himself. And Nabal says, he wasn't saying, who is David? Who is he? He was saying, I don't care who it is. They were saying, David needs provisions. And he said, I don't care. Now, remember, they have no history. David and, and Nabal have no history. It's not like a, they have this, you know, uh, feud that they've been living out for the last five years. They have no history. They have, I, as far as we know, they've never met. But Nabal, just because he decides to be churlish, 
He acts this way. Uh, and he says, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There's a lot of servants that break away from their master nowadays. Shall I take my bread, verse 11, and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told all these sayings to David. Uh, Nabal's just being, he just has this contempt. I don't even think it's for David particularly. I think it's for anybody that crosses him. He's got all this wealth. He's in charge, and he doesn't care who he hurts or who he makes feel bad in the process. What he doesn't realize is David's got 400-plus mighty men with him that are that are getting ready to come destroy this guy. As soon as David finds out about it, they're ready to, to destroy this guy's family, let alone his, his belongings. Um, <clears throat> and so I wrote this down. Nabal had, well, I, we already talked about that. He has no history. He's got no history with David. Um, and he just decides to be mean. He's provocative. He's provoking David, not realizing, I think, who he's provoking. Maybe he thought, yeah, these men are starving. <laughs> they're not going to be able to fight. They've you know, they've, they've been weeks on <clears throat> the sparsest of rations. Um, but David, David, these men get back. They talk to David, tell him what Nabal said. And, and uh, David, you'll see in verse uh, 14, no, verse 12. So, David, so David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him all those sayings. Verse 13, David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. They girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. <clears throat> David takes 400 men to go destroy Nabal. And this is where the story gets interesting, because in verse 14, um, Abigail comes into the story. And before we get into Abigail's, the whole, the whole side of Abigail... We need to realize that our attitudes and our actions will determine both our testimony and our reputation. Uh, the Bible says in, in the very beginning of chapter 25 that Nabal was a churlish man. He has this reputation. David doesn't know that. David doesn't know who this guy is. In fact, he sends his 10, ten men up there to say, hey, let him know we need provisions. We've not stolen any of his stuff. We haven't hurt any of his men. I think if David knew who Nabal was, he probably would have gone about it a little bit different way. But he gives Nabal the benefit of the doubt and goes up there. And within minutes, Nabal shows what his real reputation is. Who's David? Who is this traitor? I mean, he's literally calling David a traitor, saying, uh, we saw that in verse, uh, let's see, verse 9, I think it is. Verse 10. There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. He's saying that, that David has broken away from Saul and is a traitor to Saul. He's, he's, this is the next king of Israel, and they, this is how Nabal uh, acts toward him. But our, our attitude and our actions will determine our testimony and our reputation. It's not always just our actions that determine our reputation. Sometimes our attitude, if every time somebody sees you, you've got this negative attitude or... You know, this attitude of, I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care what the rules are. I, that's kind of what Nabal does here. And very quickly, David picks up on it and goes, all right, 400 of you get your swords out. We're going to destroy them. 200 of you stay here by our stuff so it doesn't get stolen. And they're ready to go. To return good for good is human. 
To return evil for evil is brutal. To return evil for good is diabolical, but to return good for evil is divine. Nabal takes good. David did a good thing for him. He could have just killed all his shears, stole all his sheep, and went on his way. But Nabal takes this good that David has done and returns evil for it. It's, it's a diabolical thing. It's, it's really ridiculous. Well, here comes Abigail. So in verse 15, 14, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were very good unto us. We were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them They were when they were in the fields. They were a wall unto us both by day, night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Verse 17, Now therefore know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him. This is one of his servants. Here's what he says to David's men. Sees David's men going back and goes, this, is, this isn't good. And he runs to Abigail and says, look, which is a pretty bold statement, tells his wife, your husband is a son of Belial, and he's about to get us all destroyed. You need to do something quickly about this. So here comes Abigail, and uh, she, she quickly gets a whole bunch of provisions, basically gifts to give to David because they are. They're scared for their life. He's going to kill the entire household. He's going to destroy it. Um, and this is kind of a lesson for us, uh, her quick response. When, when, when we have the responsibility to right a wrong, whether it's something we did wrong or somebody we know did something wrong, I think we need to act quickly to, to get that taken care of. Sometimes we let things go on and on and on, and this enmity, especially in a church, can end up destroying a church because... Maybe two people or two groups of people are too proud to go say, hey, we were wrong. We apologize. Let's get this taken care of. That's not what Abigail does. She quickly gets, gets on her horse, literally, and, and says, get all these provisions. And, and you can read through there in uh, verse 18 and 18 through 20. She, she gets uh, 200 loaves of, of bread, two bottles of wine, five sheep completely ready to, to eat. They're dressed and ready to go. Five measures of parched corn, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs. And she puts them all on these donkeys and, and gets them headed toward David. And she says, I'll be right behind you. I'm, I'm coming. But she quickly takes care of it. It's this, and it's the same thing uh, when the Holy Spirit leads us to do something, whether it's taking care of something we've done wrong or just leading us in a certain direction. We need to move quickly on it. Um, the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about it. He won't beg us forever to do something that he's leading us to do. At some point, he finally, he, he will say, you know what? I'm going to give you over to a reprobate mind. That's exactly what the Bible says. I'm going to give you over to a reprobate mind because you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of a lot of things. Convicts us when we do wrong, but, it, but he also pushes us to do right. Uh, and if we aren't listening uh, to him, he will, he'll stop talking to us. And we see, we've seen that over and over in, in uh, people that you know, maybe Christians you know, that have they've stopped listening to the Holy Spirit. They backslide to a point. And I understand that, that in every Christian's life, we, we come back and then we go forward. We slide back a little bit, we go forward. But when you slide back and don't care, that's when it's a problem. That's when the Holy Spirit says, fine, I'm done. I'm done working with you. Um, and that doesn't mean that you'll never, ever, ever have another chance. But the Holy Spirit, when he stops convicting you of sin, that, that's when we should be scared. 
um, because the Holy Spirit is what was, he is what was left on this earth to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, as the Bible says. But anyway, so Abigail quickly realizes the situation. She realizes they're in trouble, and she quickly moves to, to take action to take care of it. Um, and so she is responsive, but she's also respectful. Look at verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord whom thou didst sent. She's, she's on her face in front of David saying, if I had seen the men, your, the men you sent, I would, have, I would have responded completely differently than my husband. But she says, upon me let this iniquity be. It wasn't her fault. And I think David realizes that pretty quickly. She didn't do it. It's not her fault. And, and she plays... She's not playing David, but she plays on this, uh, on his mercy. She's asking, please have mercy. Um, she does, she realizes, as I mentioned before, David's got 400 mighty men with him headed toward them to destroy this whole household. And uh, David responds graciously. And it's the same way uh, when a Christian comes before God on our face, realizing when we sin who we've wronged the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of heaven, the God of the universe, and we come, down, we come before him and we get on our face and ask for his, uh, for his forgiveness, and God has mercy. It's not, God is not, pastor talks about this fairly often, but God is not looking for reasons to, to squish us when we do wrong. When we do wrong, he's waiting for us to come back and ask that forgiveness, and that's what Abigail does here. She comes before this man that she knows about to be her earthly king and, and ask for forgiveness for something that her husband did. It wasn't even her. Um, this is a good picture of the fear of the Lord that we should have. Uh, David hasn't done anything yet to, to this household, but he's coming with 400 men. And think about, think about the fear of the Lord. And, and God doesn't want us to live in fear that he's going to destroy us if we, if we don't do what he says. But there is a healthy fear of the Lord that guides us uh, in our Christian life as well. And that's what, that's what happened here with Abigail. She hasn't felt any pain yet, but she's got a healthy fear of what David can do. And she comes and begs for his forgiveness very humbly. Uh, but then thirdly, she was reasonable about it. Verse 28, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. And evil hath not been found in thee all the day. She's talking about David, that God is going to bless him because he fights the Lord's battles. Verse 29, Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. Look what she's referring to. She knows how David killed Goliath, and she goes, you know, without saying it, she refers to this sling that David is so skilled at using. But verse 30, it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath, has spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over, over Israel. So she's uh, leaning on the, David's reason as well. She's saying, you're going to be king 
of Israel. You're going to be, uh, verse 30, right at the end, ruler over Israel. And she says, please have some mercy on this small household compared to what you're going to be. Um, Abigail knew that God is a just God. She knew that he doesn't slay the innocent with the wicked just because. And she plays on that with David. And, and, and remember, she's not playing David. She's not churlish like her husband and just, you know, out trying to um, seduce David or anything like that. She's, she's a reasonable woman. The Bible says that in verse uh, 3, I believe, of, of uh, let's see, verse 3? Yes. And the name of his wife was Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and a beautiful, beautiful countenance. She, she is a understanding woman. She's a reasonable woman. And she actually goes and takes this blame on herself. Forgive the trespasses of thine handmaid. And David's been around these, obviously this group is growing because when we, when we talked about um, at first 400 of David's family and outcasts come to him. Now he's got at least 600 because he takes 400 with him and 200 stay back with the stuff. So this group is growing and David is not running around with men, women, and children. This, these are all men, and their families, we see this later uh, when, when the Philistines came and destroyed a bunch of the, uh, their homes and all the rest of that, which they were probably just tents, but um, they're leaving their families in a certain area and going out to fight. So David's been around 600-plus mighty men, and here comes this woman begging for forgiveness. David hasn't been around that for a while. He hasn't, hasn't been around uh, this softness. But certainly it touches his heart, and because he knows she's not guilty of this. It's her husband. Um, but anyway, so she is a reasonable woman. There's an illustration of, of a, a soldier in Napoleon's army. He has committed an offense. He's, he's sentenced to death. He's going to be executed. And this soldier's mother comes to um, Napoleon and says, I don't want justice for my son. I know what my son did is, is worthy of death, but I am asking you for mercy. I'm pleading for mercy. And Napoleon responded to her. He said, your son doesn't deserve mercy. And she said, exactly. If he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. And of course, Napoleon was one of the most powerful men at this point, if not the most powerful. And he says, all right, I'm going to have mercy. And he gives this guy his life. That's what Abigail's doing here. She's telling David, I know Nabal doesn't deserve it he's a son of Belial as his name says she's she says I don't know if that's what his name means uh, or if that's just how he came to be known but she says he's a son of Belial he doesn't deserve mercy but please have mercy and so David David has mercy as we see here in this last section David's persuasion he is persuaded by Abigail to have mercy um, in verse uh well, verse 13, David has made up his mind. He's, he's going to kill them. David said, said to his men, gird ye on every sword. They girded on every man his sword. And it says 400 of them are going with David. Um, there was one person standing between David's actions and what eventually ended up ha happening. It was Abigail. Nothing else was going to change David's mind. But the, the lesson is dare to listen to wise counsel. This counsel... It might not have seemed like that at first. It was more of a begging for mercy. But this counsel that Abigail gives him, uh, she says, don't, 
basically don't stoop to Nabal's level. Don't, don't come down to his level and destroy him. He's a son of Belial. He's, he's a worthless human being is what she's telling him. He's, he's like this to everybody. Don't, uh, don't stoop to his level. And David listens to that counsel, and I think it changes his, his king, kingship later in the future. Remember, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, when the children of Israel went to Samuel and said, we want a king. We need a king. And Samuel says, I don't think it's time. They want a king. We want a king. Every other, every other nation has a king. We want a king. And God says, I'll give them a king. And he gives them Saul. What a, what a mess Saul ends up being, right? And I had pointed out that uh, Saul was the ninth generation from Judah. Had they waited one more generation, I do believe God was going to give them King David anyways. But they jumped the gun. And it's interesting. Uh, David, is, David is a man of passion. I'll get back to that in one second. David is a man of passion. If you look through the Psalms, when David's angry, he's livid. When he's happy, he's ecstatic, right? When he's, when he's, uh, when he's sad, I mean, he's in the depths of despair. David is a, a passionate man. And we see that all the way through the Psalms. And that's exactly what happens here. David goes to Nabal. He's kind. He's, he's been protecting Nabal's shears. It actually says he, they were a wall between us um, when, they're, when he's talking to Abigail, that one servant. He says, they, they've been protecting us while we've been out here with the sheep. Um, Nabal should not be treating them this way. And David goes from, hey, go see if we can get some supplies too. I mean, within a split second, get your swords on. We're killing everybody. Um, so David is a, is a man of passion, but he's also a man after God's own heart, remember. And so that mercy that she asks for, he is, he is merciful. Um, James 1, 19 and 20, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Um, as an illustration, Reverend Thomas Clark, he was in the late 1700s, he was a, a pastor in London, and he was known for having a pleasant, natural disposition. You, you know people like that. They're always kind of smiling. They're always, they always seem even keeled. They seem you know, like they never have a bad day. And a man uh, came up to Reverend Clark and said, uh, asked him about that. He said, everybody knows you have this natural, this pleasant natural dis disposition. He said, can you tell us, you know, where that comes from? Why, do you, why are you so kind all the time? And this is what the pastor said. Natural disposition? I'm naturally as irritable as any, but, any, but when I find anger or passion or any other evil temper arise in my mind, immediately I go to my Redeemer and confessing my sins, I give myself up to be managed by him. This is the way that I have taken to get the mastery of my passions. Uh, he was saying, I'm not naturally uh, pleasant, but I have learned in order to get control of, of these passions, to get control of myself, immediately when I feel these arising in me, I go to, go to my Savior and ask for forgiveness before they ever actually manifest themselves. And uh, David was not necessarily like that, but thankfully he listens to this counsel from Abigail. And getting back to what I was saying uh, a minute ago, this patience that David shows, this mercy that David shows is rewarded. Uh, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, right? 
That's what David almost forgot. He almost, well, he did forget, and he almost acted out on that if it hadn't been for Abigail. I believe that God sends Abigail to save David's reputa reputation here. Um, because in 1 Samuel 25, and toward the end of the, end of the uh, passage, verse 36, Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken, Wherefore, she told him nothing less or more until the morning light. But it came to pass in the morning when the wine was gone out of Nabal and his wife told him these things that his heart died within him and became as a stone. In verse 38, it came to pass about 10 days after that the Lord smote Nabal that he died. And listen how, how quickly David uh, processes this information that he gets. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, hath kept his servant from evil, for the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon, Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. David realizes very quickly, God spared me from making this huge mistake. Going back to what I was saying a minute ago, he almost does what the children of Israel did with taking Saul as their king. He almost jumps in front of God. Um, God obviously knew that David was going to have Abigail as his wife eventually. David was going to go take care of Nabal and all that household. Maybe spare Ab Abigail, maybe not. I don't know. But God, very shortly after this happens, Abigail goes back to her husband, tells him what happened, and he basically has a heart attack. He says he became as a stone, and 10 days later, he dies. And David realizes that was God protecting him from this slaughter that he was about to do. Now, in war, David does that all the time. This was not war. This was him mad at Nabal for not giving him food and basically uh, insulting him, telling him he's a traitor to King Saul. David listens to the wise counsel of Abigail spares himself from this probably really would have been an embarrassment or at least a blot. I mean, certainly the rest of Israel would have found out what David did out here on his run, and it may have made him become an outlaw forever. I mean, they may have said, you know what, we can't have him as our king. He's just running around the countryside slaughtering people. But he listens to wise counsel, and we're going to end with this, and then we'll be done. Um, and I just I wrote this out, but sometimes your pastor or maybe somebody else in the church will come to you and beg you not to do a certain thing, this or that, whatever it is. Maybe because they've seen the end result before, or maybe because God has given a, the Holy Spirit has given them a special understanding of what you're about to get into. Um, either way, as this lesson says, please dare to listen to that wise counsel and see what reward God has for you when you listen, David saw this reward in verse 39. You can kind of hear it in his prayer. Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal. He says, I was this close to destroying a big part of my life. Thank you, God, for, he doesn't say it, but thank you for putting somebody in my way to sidetrack me, to get me off of what I was about to do. And to listen to that wise counsel was a very, very uh, wise thing for David to do. And he ends up taking Abigail to wife right there at the end of, uh, verse 39, he goes and talks to her about being his wife. But listening to wise counsel, uh, there can be a, there's a lot more that can be said about this. Um, but listen to wise counsel. We get so caught up in I'm my own man. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to, you know, I'll decide what I'm going to do with my family. I'll decide what I'm going to, you know, what job I'm going to take or what 
whatever, what church I'm going to go to, I'll decide. But if we listen to wise counsel, sometimes, like I said at the very beginning, it's not always from your pastor. Sometimes it's from somebody in the church that's been through what you're going through. Sometimes it's uh, even from somebody that you might think is a lesser person than you. In this case, Abigail, she, she's nobody. Abigail's just, she's the wife of this wealthy man, but she's not, she's not anybody. And she comes to the next king of Israel. And he listens to her wise counsel and God rewards him and rewards her as well. She becomes the wife, the queen. She becomes the wife of the king of Israel. Listening to wise counsel is very important, um, but it takes humility, as we saw with Abigail. We've got to humble ourselves and listen. And, and maybe sometimes we go, thank you for the advice. I don't think that's what God wants me to do. It doesn't mean you have to listen. You have to do everything that the, that, that person is asking you to do, but it's wise to listen to that counsel. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Uh, dare to listen to wise counsel. Let's pray and then we'll get ready for the morning service. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. Again, I thank you uh, for bringing us back here this morning uh, safely through another week to meet with your people, to meet with you, to worship you. God, I pray as we uh, start the service here in a few minutes that you would help us as we sing, that you'd help us as we uh, open your word, that everything we do would give honor and glory to you. Pray that you would uh, bring those into this service that need uh, the message this morning. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us as well, that you give our pastor uh, power and wisdom as he preaches. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're dismissed.